Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, all right. Welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons, and my guests today, that means plural, Miss Lexi Miller and Miss Hillary Osborne, two of our wonderful coaches here at Lifelong Endurance. And today we're going to talk all about the Leadville 100. Uh, I myself have never run the race, so I will be playing the role of MC today, but I have crewed this race many, many times. Uh, most recently, the 2019 edition, I was lucky enough to crew Addie Bracy, who ended up finishing second that year. Excuse me, that was a 2018 edition. 2019 was different one. Um, but either way, uh, my first person to introduce today to you guys is Miss Lexi Miller. Yeah. So I ran the Leadville Trail 100 and finished in 2019. Uh, I volunteered there the two years previous to that, 2018 and 2017. And then uh, lots of times growing up, having lived in Leadville, um, I did a lot of aid station duties at uh, Winfield and Hopeless, which are two of my favorite aid stations as both a runner and a volunteer. Um, and yeah, and then over to Hillary. Yeah. So hi, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Um, I have paced at the 2019 Leadville and then I ran myself in 21, ran and finished. So my first hundred first, um, which was Leadville is a great first hundred experience. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I, I love it. As I love watching someone finish their first hundred mile race on that course. I think there's so many things that make it, um, gosh, can I say magical? I think that the finish line, one of the things I love about that finish line, and I know I realized we haven't even started talking, but we already talked about the finish is, um, you know, you just, you, you can see everybody coming for such a long way. And what I encourage everybody, if, even if they finish in like 22, 23 hours, come back for the last half an hour. It's like going down and watching any Ironman from like the 16 hour to 17 hour mark. Like it is so emotional and powerful. Like that last like half an hour of the race, it's just, everybody's been out there for almost 30 hours. You know, this is, it's such a raw view at humanity that I absolutely love and enjoy. Um, and even crewing and coaching people that are finishing in those last hours, like they have been out there for a very long time and they have gone through a lot. You know, I, uh, I love, I think it's Billy Yang uh, has a, I don't know if it's his Leadville one, but he has one called life in a day. And I said, you know, it is kind of like life in a day. You know, you're kind of born in the morning. And uh, by the end of that thing, it's like, oh, I don't want to die. But it's, I feel like I have lived uh, a whole life in a day. And that's such a beautiful way to look at uh, this course because it uh, it gives a lot. It takes a lot, too. And I think knowing how to run this course is uh, what we're really going to dive into today uh, to kind of give you guys, the listener, an idea of how we're going to kind of run through this thing, um, kind of use this as a catalog, if you will, of the aid station. So we're going to go aid station by aid station and kind of run through this thing to give people uh, a real look at both the experience side of two wonderful runners and coaches, but also more of the crewing side um, and some maybe some great details that you guys can pick up if you're going to be crewing this year or if you're going to be lucky enough to be at the start line. 
So I think um, to kind of give uh, some introductions here, both Lexi and Hillary are, uh, as I mentioned, coaches on our team. Uh, both have run the Leadville 100, and uh, you guys have both been able to enjoy that magical start line. Um, I, I was there and I was behind it uh, the 2018 year and got a great shot of Ken shooting the shotgun. And that's really how things start off. So if you guys want to kind of give uh, kind of an idea of the first kind of start line as you guys head into May Queen, that'd be that'd be kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, so I'll jump in here first. So if we kind of want to give some guidelines on where should people um, just place themselves at that massive start line. You're starting with somewhere between 600 and 700 runners. Um, so where do you even stand, um, to start? So, um, me, myself, I kind of approached it knowing that it was going to be a long day. There's a lot of miles and a lot can happen. So no reason to, um, to kind of push the pace or to be super, um, nervous or stressed too much about where my positioning was because I knew there's lots of time. So I kind of, I just placed myself maybe middle of the pack. Um, um, the, the start line does start to kind of get crowded early in the morning. So you kind of just stand where it feels comfortable, where you see some friendly faces. Um, and especially with the first five and a half miles or so are either paved road or dirt road. So it's really wide path. There's lots of room to pass people and, and that pacing kind of sorts itself out. Um, the, the race is not going to get down to single track quickly. Um, so you don't have to like vie for position or anything like that. So that was my approach to, um, where to stand at the start line. Lexi, I don't know if you had any other input. Yeah, same. I, I kind of placed myself a little bit further towards the back because I had heard that it can get a little wild as you do move to the single track. Um, and I think that no matter what, that single track is just going to be funky, no matter if you're the very first one or the very last person, you're you're not going to be running the pace that you truly want to be in that moment. And that's just kind of what you have to go into that with, with that mentality. Um, just be cognizant of where your feet are. Make sure you have a good headlamp. Uh, make sure you do have a headlamp. I think I saw lots of people who are trying to navigate that that single track once you get over to um, to Turquoise Lake where they just were having trouble seeing, trying to get around people. Um, so I think just really that first section, the, the name of the game is patience. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go ahead and add that um, when we want to give advice about pacing, you know, how do we, how do we pace this? Um, I tell my athletes that I coach for, for Leadville or really other, this applies to other hundred miles too, but, um, you kind of want to look at, um, the, so the mileage from start to May Queen is about 12, 13 miles. Um, so I would say, you know, you're going to give yourself a May Queen arrival time, or you want to be a goal time. Like you want to be there in two hours. You want to be there in two and a half hours. And so then what's that minute mile pace? Um, and then stick to it, even in that first mile um, or the first couple miles when you're really excited, there's a lot of adrenaline going and everyone's, you know, right off the start line. It could be really easy to put down eight minute miles. And um, for 100, that might just be too much for the majority of us. So um, so really just trust your that plan that you've laid out that, OK, I'm going to 
you know, this is my minute mile pace and I'm just going to trust it and I'm going to stick with it. Um, and yeah, kind of to bounce off of what Lexi said that around turquoise, once, once the course gets to single track, there is, there can be a little bit of backlog that happens. You just kind of get stuck in a little bit of a conga line. Um, some people will try and pass and sometimes you can easily pass, but for the most, but eventually around that lake, it just gets to a point where it's, um, there's just too many runners and a string of runners. Um, and so just be patient, just settle in, just know it's, it's a long day and, um, there's no harm in just kind of enjoying, enjoying where you're at. Yeah. I, yeah, the lights going, sorry, Andrew, the lights going around, uh, turquoise are just absolutely beautiful. You kind of see like all the headlamps circling around, bouncing off the lake. It's really cool. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, having crewed or paced each section on the back half as this is an outback course, I was surprised, um, you know, how hard it was to run backwards, right? So going into the finish, that turquoise lake section is actually somewhat loose rock. Um, and it can have, right. There's some tree roots that go along that. And so you also want to, you know, it's okay to be in that conga line. You're not going to lose the race in that first 10 minutes, but you can injure yourself. You can twist an ankle. You can bruise and bump yourself up and make your race harder by going too hard. And so I think you made a great point there, Hillary, about trying to, um, you know, really just be patient. It's okay. Your, your whole race isn't going to get thrown off because you come into that first aid station five minutes slow. You come in 23 minutes ahead, you've been too aggressive. And again, this is a race at altitude. And from a physiological perspective, you want to stay nice and controlled. Um, I'll ask you guys this just kind of piece of interest um, for your, when you guys got to the start line, you know, did you guys have a full breakfast? Were you guys like, what time did you guys, what time did the alarm go off for you guys that morning? Yeah. Good question. So start is at four in the morning. I believe my alarm went off at, uh, maybe two 30 or three, I think, um, knew I wanted to be there, be at the start line by three 30, the latest. Um, it's enough time to use the bathroom, find where you want to start, you know, shed some warm up layers, get some hugs and high fives from your crew. Um, so breakfast wise, yeah, I, it was hard to eat that early in the morning. That's different. But, um, so I had something, um, like carb heavy, I think I had probably a bagel or like English muffin with some peanut butter or something like that. Um, and, but not nothing too big. Cause I knew I had the whole day ahead of me to eat really. So, um, just kind of something little in the stomach and off I went. Yeah. Yeah, same. I think I got up somewhere between 2 and 2.30. I think I really wasn't sleeping well. So it was kind of that point where I was like, kept looking at my watch. I'm like, I might as well just get up. Um, had some coffee and some oatmeal. Uh, tried to get some water down and then got to the start probably 45 minutes early. Yeah, that seems a pretty normal approach for most people is, is that area about an hour beforehand. There's kind of that buzz and that energy that starts there. Um And I think, you know, from a crewing standpoint, um, you know, as soon as your runner goes off, that first aid station is actually one that, um, you do want to, you can, you can give yourself about 45 minutes, um, to kind of go back to the Airbnb or wherever your house is, as long as it's not too crazy far away. And you can go have some coffee, eat a real meal. I think for most people that are going to go watch the start, if you are, um, go back to Airbnb, have a full meal because the whole day is ahead of you. And this being an out and back course, like 
you're going to want to have, make sure that your whole crew has all the food they need because there's no, there's no real food along the way. Um, so you're going to want to pack all of your food and all your meals for the entire day, anything and everything that you're going to want to eat for the next 30 hours, you're going to have to be carrying with you as a crew member. Um, you know, I think the first year we did this, um, Everybody went to every aid station. And uh, what I'll encourage is those people that are crewing or pacing later in the day, just so everybody is still awake and has good high energy. Those that have the later legs, as much as you may want to see that runner, um, maybe wait until the later legs um, to go see them so that you're well rested. Um, and that's, I think, been a big thing about making sure that you're maintaining your energy. 30 hours to run is one thing, but I'll also say, um, crewing is almost just as hard um, because you you have the anxiety of waiting, waiting, waiting. And sometimes you're going to go sit at an aid station for three or four hours and you're thinking they're late because we have this expectation that we are, when we, when they get there, they're going to be there and it's never, never quite that easy. So while we're on the, the point of um, first aid station, um, crew taking care of themselves, I'm going to take this opportunity to make the point, make the suggestion Um that it could be, it could work out well for you for your crew to just skip the first aid station. Totally. Um, that's what my, that's what my crew did. Um, and it worked out well. So couple reasons why you might want to consider this if you're running, um, for one, make Queens the first aid station you get to, everyone is pretty much together. All 600, 700 runners are all probably coming in within half hour, 45 minutes of each other. And so it's chaos. Yeah. Parking is really difficult. And if you even look at Leadville's um, athlete guide, they even really discourage parking there. Um, and they almost make it seem like you're not allowed to because um, it can just be madness. Um, so you as the runner, um, ask yourself if you can get to um, Outward Bound all by yourself, which you can because it's, what, 24, around 24? 23.5 miles. Like that, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, you can, it's not super hot at this time. So you can definitely carry all the water you need. You can carry all the food you need. Um, May Queen is not really an opportunity that you're going to need to ditch any gear or pick up new gear or anything. It's a very easy aid station to just blow through. Um, that's how I approached it. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. I was the same where, you know, it's only it's not even 13 miles into the race. Um, I think I grabbed like an orange and some crackers or something quick from the aid station just to make sure that I was good. But, you know, I think it's one that there's there's no reason to to have your your crew there. Um, and I'm sure it's the same experience you had, Hillary. There was a ton of people. So it still had like a really like fun vibe. Like yeah. even though I didn't know yeah. any of the people cheering for me, like it was lying. People were yelling like. I still got that little morale boost without seeing any familiar faces. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I think, um, I think if anything, you would drop a layer there maybe, but you're going to want to carry a layer <laughs> all day anyway. So you're probably going to, what you start with, and this is, I think the last point I'll make before we, we hump, we jump into kind of this next aid station section is I always tell people that you should be a little bit cold at the start line. Not like completely shivering and shaking, but the way that you're best dressed is that if you're a little chilly at the start line, because you're going to warm up, your body temperature is going to raise anyways. The worst thing you can do in you know a mountain ultra like this is actually sweat too much and get yourself like too sweaty and too cold. I, the thing I loved about May Queen is being there as I did go. Um, 
is there is that energy, but you get to leave that. And then it feels like that's like the last time it's really like, you know, really, really dark because at this point things are going to start to, you know, headlamps aren't going to quite come off at that aid station. You should have it with you going into, uh, you know, outward bound. Yeah. So this section is, uh, May Queen to sugar or May Queen to outward bound, um, where you do go over sugar loaf and down power line. Uh, but I'll let Hillary, Hillary talk about her experience and then I'll jump in. Sure. Yeah. So this section is about a little over 10 miles from May Queen to outward bound. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of feels like you're either going up or down. Um, it's your first major climb of the race. Um, and so I think for people who are running this for the first time, it's good just to think about, um, just keep, um, like a good hike, uh, hike run or hike walk type rhythm to it. Um, people, if you're asking about like how, how fast should you go or how much should you run? I always tell people to check in with their heart rate, check in with their with their breathing rate and not so much heart rate. Like what is your watch telling you, but like in your chest, how does your heart feel? Like, can you feel your heart beating really fast? Um, is your breathing rate really high going up, um, going up the hill to the point where you can't keep a conversation. And if those things are true, then I would say that's when you want to be hiking. That's when you want to cut back on the running. Um, so be conservative here. Um, take care of yourself here. Uh, I don't quite know how that, how long that climb is. I want to say it's probably at least two miles or so, um, maybe more. Um, and there are some sections that do kind of level out where you can get a good shuffle going again, but then, um, once it gets steep, go right back into your hike. And, um, before you know it, you'll be at the top of power line and then power line is a nice long downhill, nice steep downhill, at least going this direction. Um, and for some people it can be really easy for them to just vomit and, um, go a little too fast, trash the, the quads. Um, and if downhill's your strength, like embrace it, go for it, but don't feel like you have to like cook it in this section because, um, you want to save some legs for later. Um, so that's kind of how I approach that, that section. Um, Lexi, do you want to add anything? (laughs) Before Lexi pops in, I wanted to say, I had to laugh because you said vomit. And Lexi, I, I think we have to share a little bit about what happened for your first Leadville. Oh, because the, the... <laughs> I thought you said oh, vomit. <laughs> oh yeah, I threw up there. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, I uh, I don't have a good morning stomach, um, and that's something that like I talk to athletes about before they run their first ultra, especially something like Leadville that starts early. I tried to eat breakfast. I should not eat breakfast that early because then I got sick uh, right after right after May Queen, and then continued to be sick the the duration of the race. But I mean that's ultra running, right? Yeah. So the first part as you leave out or as you leave May Queen isn't kind of going up in the trees. You get up to uh, Hagerman Road, which takes you to Sugarloaf, and it's all a nice sustained up. You, I pretty much hiked the majority of Sugarloaf. Uh, partially because I, I was trying to get my stomach to calm down and try and get some crackers in. And then also I realized that when I was hiking, I was keeping pace with the lady who was running. And I figured that I, you know, I was like, eh, as long as I keep her in sight, like I feel pretty good about just hiking this. Exactly. I think Hillary, you're exactly right. It's easy to have a lot of fun coming down power line. Uh, but then you also don't want to be hitting the brakes too much and like, you know, kind of hitting those heels back and, and aggravating your legs. So it's like trying to figure out your rhythm 
in your training, trying to utilize downhill running late into a run as much as possible. So you can kind of see how that fatigues you, uh, build up those muscles. I'm sure Hillary has lots of great resources to share of how you can strengthen to prepare for that, that early on downhill. Um, but then you, you hit the fish hatchery road, you're cruising through like, again, on a fun open road. Um, it's not a time to bank time, but it is a time to just keep yourself moving, actually run. Um, you know, hopefully you're still feeling really good at this point and you can just kind of stay with that, like standard, easy pace you were doing, uh, as you left this start line. Yeah. And I think this is where it's really important to, and I think we'll probably say this at least 10 more times throughout this whole discussion is this is a very runnable course, very runnable. So I would consider this as much as this is a mountain race and it's at 10,000 feet. It's very runnable. If you've trained yourself to run, I think that as mountain ultras go and in training for this, I don't put as much pressure on athletes to do as much climbing here. I think you guys nailed it in saying that downhill work, I think is is really important because if, if you're not able to handle the downhill and we'll get to this, but if you're coming off the, the middle part of this course and your legs are shot in that downhill, it's going to be really hard for you to want to run the next 40 miles. And so get good at running downhill, but again, be within your limits on this first descent. Um, especially right again, it's, it's, it's a, a fun, but cautious downhill, I think to take, because again, you don't want to fall, but it's gonna, it's gonna happen. These things happen, uh, with that, but just, you know, that's a, it's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, I think when it comes to it is that there, you do get aid, um, at this, at this aid station, you do see people. And I think one of the things that I have, um, a lot of my athletes do is that even though it seems early, if there's one that I think is worth taking time to do a little bit of a clothing change, it's here. So a shirt change, ladies, I would change the full top half sports bra and shirt just so that you're dry coming out of that area. And you're going to be able to kind of feel what the weather is going to be for that day. Um, but I think it's good to make a, a good clothing change there. And, um, I wasn't in the military or anything, but I have a huge thing for people changing their socks and like lubing their feet. So if you didn't already start the day with like changing your, you know, changing your socks, but like lubing your feet to, for the start of the race, like whether it's squirrels, nuts, butter, two toms, whatever it might be, go ahead and reapply here. Because I, I personally believe that when your feet are nice and dry and also getting hands on looking at your feet, this is where you can prevent a lot of issues, uh, like blisters and things like that. So I would say that unless you have a lot of experience with hundred milers, this is speaking many to the first time, change your socks here, um, and definitely lube up your feet again, um, and take care of anything that doesn't feel right below the leg at this point. Um, anything that crops up, whether it's with blisters, you know, foot care, things like that, those are things that you're really going to want to be cognizant of and get ahead of. So if it feels like a blister, it feels like a hot spot, handle it now because you're going to start to accumulate some fatigue. You start, you're going to start to feel some tiredness after this. And you don't want to get into that complacent point of forgetting something. So to kind of, oh yeah, go ahead, Lex. I was going to say, as usual, I'm going to disagree with you. So, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> that's, that's what we, I, I just argue with Andrew all the time. So I, uh, I, I think you, like runners, even if it's your first hundred, you should kind of know what your problem areas are. Uh, I, 
I don't have issues with blisters. I've never had issues with blisters. My feet have always been pretty happy, but my, my issue is migraines. I know that if my eyes, like if I don't have sunglasses or a hat, I'm going to get a bad migraine. I also know that I have kind of fair skin and I'm definitely going to burn. So that was what I did at this aid station is uh, switched into a lighter top or maybe just took off a fleece. I honestly don't remember. I did something. I took off a warm layer. I made sure I reapplied sunscreen. I got my sunglasses and hat, but I didn't touch any. I think I started in shorts and stayed in shorts, switched out some water, handed off my headlamp to be charged. Uh, so I did use a crew here, but I I didn't touch my feet until, until Twin Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. Lexi, I'm, I'm with you. I, I had a different strategy um, with with this outward bound aid station. Um, so I think like just to take a step back and say totally. that it's very easy to waste a lot of time at aid stations. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're 10 minutes at every single one, I forget how many there are, but that could Over, very yeah. easily be an hour without and back. Yeah. So um, being very strategic about when you might spend more time at an aid station or less time at an aid station um, is a good strategy to have before you go into this. Um, so I knew that this one, I was going to utilize my crew for sure, but I was going to make it quick. And I made it quick by uh, all day long. I actually had two um, packs going to like vests with water. And at the aid station, I would just do a complete switch instead of waiting for water bottles to be refilled for nutrition to be restocked. Um, so at this aid station, it was just a complete switch. It was full of water. It was full of enough nutrition for till the get me to the next aid station. Um, and then any other little things I might need. Um, I use this aid station to dump things like, like Lexi mentioned, um, dumped my layer. I dumped my headlamp, uh, anything else I just didn't need at that point because it was light out and it was getting warm out. Uh, and then I made it quick. I didn't even sit down. So that's another good piece of advice is having rules. Like I'm not even going to sit down at this aid station because I need to be in and out. I need to keep it short. Or knowing like as we get down the road, it's like, okay, Twin Lakes is an aid station. I'm going to sit or or Winfield or whatever is an aid station. I'm going to sit and I'm going to take extra time. So I knew this aid station was going to be quick. Uh, my my crew helped me make it, make it quick. And then I was on my way. Yeah. No, I think I was more so trying to make the point of take care of the things before their problems is more my point, but that's fine. You guys can beat me up. It's all good. Um, no. So, you know, I, I think I, I love the two pack, uh, methodology. If you have a second pack that is like the biggest ultra hack ever is being able to have a second pack ready to go. Um, I think one thing that's really good is that, uh, for instance, there is 10 aid stations in this. So 10 times 10 minutes, that's an hour and 40 minutes. You could waste spending 10 minutes, five minutes is still almost an hour of time that you can waste. And so the and that's and that's assuming that like when you're at mile 80 it's not going to be a 10 minute stop. Right, right. It could be longer. <laughs> I think one other thing that's really important here is that um how do you line up your crew? Um you know, kind of crewing for an ultra, I think one of the things that's important is like Ziploc bags are a crew chief's best friend. Like have the gallon size Ziploc bag and there's a Ziploc bag that's got the nutrition, any layer that you might think that you as the athlete want. So you need to have a part of this is that the athlete and the crew do need to have a chance to have a crew meeting and sit down and know so that when you come in, 
you pull out this one bag and you're going to come with this bag and these are the things that you're going to get. And that change can happen really, really fast. I think of, we call it crew, like a pit crew for the NASCAR, right? Like it needs to be zoop, 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 new tires, you know, wipe the windshield, put some fuel in and get out of there. Like that is absolutely the most important point. Um, to kind of remember as overall, when it comes to crewing these things and going through aid stations is if you don't have to, don't stay there for very long. It's a ta-ta, a kiss on the cheek and goodbye. Um, so mm-hmm. speaking of 100%. saying goodbye, now we're saying goodbye to outward bound aid station here and moving off to twin lakes. I think this is one of the prettiest parts of the course. Um, just from personal opinion. Um, I think it's, um, you know, one, one of those that, um, I love running on the way back. I've crewed this section um, the most, um, but I've, you know, of course, seen it more at night. Uh, so it's hard to say that anything's not pretty at night because uh, it's all the same, <laughs> staring into the void. Um, so from the outbound station to Twin Lakes, uh, there's 14, four mi- 14.4 miles. You're just shy of 38 miles at this point. Um, you got a big up and a big down headed into the aid station. So Lexi, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So you leave outward bound, you kind of have a nice gradual climb. I, I really enjoyed that. I like, um, probably similar to Hillary. I like going uphill a lot more than going downhill, but it was something that was still runnable. Um, if you know, I, I will say that, you know, again, just be aware, aware of where your feet are. Uh, it is a Colorado trail, which means it's extremely well-maintained. Like we're so fortunate here in Colorado that we have trail crews who like put so much time and effort into maintaining our trails. Um, so it's a really nice section. You do go through two smaller aid stations. Both are no crew, which is kind of nice. Like they feel a little bit more laid back. The people working them are awesome. Um, say thank you because they probably hiked out there and are spending eight hours just standing there talking to cranky runners. Um, but, you know, both of those, like I grab a little snack, fill up your water if you need it. Uh, but just keep moving. I think this is again a section that's pretty runnable. You're not going to bank time, but you're you can definitely make sure that you're going to stay on your goal if you just keep on trucking. Um, my only fall of the race was coming down into Twin Lakes. You go through some switchbacks, uh, and there there is just a little creek or something. As always, I'm like looking like oh, I need to step over that. Wasn't looking at my feet and tripped. Um, but really, it's it's a super fun section. Miss Hillary, anything to add? Yeah, uh, I agree. This section's really pretty, really fun. This section can also be where I'll just kind of give a warning that mentally it might be the spot where you start to go, oh, this is hard. (laughs) And I have, there's a lot left and I've only done, I know I'm speaking from where I was. It was kind of, this is the point where it hit me in the race where I was like, oh, I've ran quite a bit. I've done a marathon now, but, and I have a lot left. Um, and kind of, and where I started to maybe just the fatigue was hitting me or, uh, you know, things were hitting me and, and it felt like, wow, um, it's already starting here. I am. It's already starting. So I'll say to people listening, if you have that experience, like that, you're just between these two aid stations and you and it feels hard and you're thinking, wow, I didn't think it would be hard here. Just know that that's normal and just know that like, for me, it didn't get worse for me. It definitely things got, some things got better. Um, men- mentally things got better. Um, and I'll just say that, uh, you know, like it's supposed to be hard, right? So wh- whenever you do hit that point where it's hard, you go, oh, okay, here it is. I knew it would come. Welcome to the journey. And, um, let's just keep moving. 
So um, that's what I'll just kind of share about mentally, uh, mental advice. But um, the last, I want to say the last two miles into Twin Lakes are good, decent downhill, pretty significant downhill. Um, So just again, take care of your legs there, take care of your body, have fun with it if you enjoy the downhill, but um, don't try and make up time or push too much because you don't want to fall or trash your legs. But uh, just know that you're going to roll into Twin Lakes and Twin Lakes is a party and you're going to see your friends and a million new friends. And so um, that's the, the next fun aid station. Yeah. And Hillary, to kind of piggyback on your earlier point, you know, one of the things uh, one of our prior guests, uh, Kevin, uh, mentioned uh, when we talked about the Bigfoot 200 was that, you know, this discomfort that we feel, um, whether we're racing, you know, 5K or, you know, 100, 200 miles is that, you know, discomfort comes in waves and it comes in in sections where that discomfort, it's like what you have to trust in and what you have to believe in is that this is going to pass. Like this is uncomfortable and yes, you've come a long way. Uh, but on the other side of this, you're going to, you know, you're going to feel better. But I also think that sometimes when we start to kind of, when we get a little dark or mentally we start to kind of, um, you know, struggle, this is a great time for us to kind of talk a little bit about like nutrition. And I think, that can be a great like indicator that like some of us have a different feeling for when we need to eat. I think one of the most important things to remember is that to get to even 40 miles, like you don't need to look at this race as I have to just get aid station, aid station. You can, that's a great mental strategy, but you need to have more calories on you than just what barely gets you there. I always say at least a one to two gel. So at least a, you know, that's like a 200 to 250 calorie like buffer that you should always kind of have extra or emergency snack on you. Um, you might drop something without knowing it could have wiggled out of your pack. Um, it's good to have those extra calories. Um, I wanted to take a quick chance here to segue and say like, for you guys, was there like a very memorable food that you guys were like either really looking forward to that you ate a ton of Hillary, I see you nodding. (laughs) Yeah, this was the first race that I was introduced to ramen. Um, I know it is an ultra running staple, but for me, it was the first time I've had it during a race and it was glorious. Absolutely glorious. I think I had it, uh, in Leadville the first time going up, uh, Hope Pass. I had it at Hopeless. Um, and it just, it hit the spot. It's what my body needed. And it ended up being what I needed to eat practically at every aid station after that. And it was a lifesaver in a big way. Uh, yeah. So again, I, I did most of the race on negative calories cause I kind of continued throwing up. Um, it wasn't until the space station, which is when you, after you go up power line on the way back that, uh, it was golden Oreos I was able to hold down and man, did I go crazy with those? I know that, um, you know, throughout this is that I, one of the things I always encourage for my athletes that are doing, um, hundreds, even if they're self-crewed. Um, and again, that's not a, a way that we've really looked at this race is self-crewing versus crewing, um, is put something in your drop bag that, you know, you're going to look forward to. Right. And that could be a Kit Kat bar. That could be, you know, something that you're like looking forward to as a snack. Maybe it's a piece of like that gas station banana bread or like one of those cherry pies. I know this from uh crewing Kevin. Like if it if it existed in a gas station, like if it was a pink donut, like a pink glazed donut, all over that. Like those are the motivating things or like old pizza. Um, 
So those are some things that have been good. And, and it's like good staple calories for people is like, I always say like, eat with your eyes when you come into the aid stations, especially at this point is like, if it looks good, it's probably going to be okay for you to eat. Um, and I think we're, we're heading towards kind of the crux of this course. And I think one of the things that makes Leadville exciting, um, is, is that this is, you, you get through the first 50 miles of it and you have to kind of accomplish the first 50 miles of it yourself. And, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the more challenging hundred mile mountain races are very similar. Maybe you can't have pacers or crew through the first 50 miles or the first hundred, but I, I love that you get to see people along the way. And I love that this truly does feel like this big party aspect to it. Um, you know, and so we're at this 40 mile point, we're going to start and we've got something pretty big ahead of us. And I'm actually going to let Hillary, uh, kick us off for this, this next bit here. Um, you know, out of twin lakes headed into Winfield, um, I, for whatever reason, Winfield in my mind, I always remember llamas, but anyways, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we move on from twin lakes, I do want to spend, like give a, a few words of advice of like, what to do when you roll into Twin Lakes, because it's a pretty big aid station, lots of people there. It's a lot of fun. You definitely roll in and you feel that energy and it revives you um, for the push that you're going to need up Hope Pass. Um, so just a couple maybe thing things for uh, listeners to think about uh, the Twin Lakes aid station. If you're crewing, this, this is a tricky aid station to... Um, get in and out of just because it's so busy. Uh, parking kind of lines up all down that road into the city or into that town anyway. Um, so if you're crewing, make sure you're there early and that you have the ability to either be able to park your car and walk in or take the, sometimes they have a shuttle taking people back and forth, but, um, get there early, find a spot, um, camp out, have fun. It, it, there is always like great energy there. Um, if you're the runner, this is a great aid station to do. Definitely do full body check-in. What are your feet like at this time? Do you need to change any clothes at this time? Just like Andrew was saying, this is the time to um, take care of anything small that's bugging you. Take care of it here because um, you kind of have a lot in front of you. This is also a good time to eat something extra. So this is the aid station where you probably want to sit down, um, let your crew change your shoes, your socks for you while you eat an extra sandwich or um, extra hefty snack. Um, then you can kind of stay efficient and get some more calories in and get taken care of. Um, yeah, I don't know. Lexi, do you have any other golden nuggets of of things for people to think about at this aid station? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one where I would say if you have a second pair of shoes in your arsenal, which I know not every runner does, but if you do, at least change your socks, change your shoes. It will just feel good mentally, I think. Um, you have the creek crossing, so they're going to get wet no matter what. So if you don't, not the biggest thing in the world. Um, and then again, the sunscreen. Um Growing up at Elevation, I saw so, so many people who would just get horrible burns, get really dehydrated, um, and just feel like absolute garbage when they get that kind of like sun poisoning feeling going on. Um, so making sure that you're cooling down most years, some years it's cold and rainy and you'll be fine. Uh, but reapplying that sunscreen, changing socks and shoes. I think you're exactly right, Hillary, though, getting those calories in, getting some hydration in, and then getting kind of those, those good vibes from your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is my favorite place to be as coach because this is like 
the gear up, like this is the, the total, like, you know, let's get going, right? Like this is the part where you try to really send those people off with as much energy as possible. Um, I think it's one of the, yes, the second most beautiful spot for me is that you, you come as you head towards, um, the climb, it's just got this really cool Valley and it's just, it's such a, it's such a pretty place to see. And even on the way back, if you're, depending on where you're coming in, it can be towards sunset. Um, it's, it can be a really cool thing. I think that this is where I see most people starting to go, this is really a race right now, right? Like this is, they've been out there. Um, and I think for a lot of people, this can, this can be an emotional place because they're like, oh, I got the big hard thing ahead of me. Um, and I think the the thing to remember here is that, um, you know, you have to kind of put your focus on just getting back to right here. Um, when you're, when you're there, I, would, I can't wait to hear from you guys, like what, what you guys have experienced kind of getting on the other side of hope pass and getting down, um, you know, more so in the most recent years, um, you can no longer get, you know, you can't see people there anymore. That has been closed down. I remember years before when we could actually go and drive up, um, and get in and see people, but it is such a narrow road and it's become so congested that it, even if you're at the front of the race, you can't really see people. So, um, I think again, you know, uh, it kind of has a similar feel to that very first aid station. Um, just from the standpoint of like, when you're in, um, you know, the twin lakes aid station is, is there's energy as you guys have described. And so as people leave, you've got the big climb. And so I'll let Lexi kind of launch off on uh, any ideas on how to get through this, this big climb up Hope Pass. Yeah. Well, so first you cross the creeks, which I think is like the other notable thing that it always gets overshadowed by hope, but you know, on some years, the water's huge and you just need to have your wits about you cross safely. Uh, know it's going to be really cold. Um, and then, yeah, you start up Hope Pass, you go to, um, and you know, the thing with Hope Pass is it's, it sounds big and scary, but it's not that substantial of a climb. You're already at a high elevation. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say most of it's runnable. You, I mean, you can, some people can, I didn't, I jog sections. Um, the hopeless aid station, as I mentioned at the beginning is a place I've volunteered several times and I love volunteering there. Um, they have the, the, Llamas or alpacas, I don't know the difference. They have some critter that hauls things up. Uh, there's people who like do this every, like there's a, a group from Texas who's done it every year for like 20 years, hung out at this aid station. Uh, they have all kinds of good food. I wouldn't recommend hanging out here, but like grab yourself some ramen for that last little hike up Hope Pass. And then, you know, enjoy that downhill. Because again, it's some switchbacky. It's steepish at the top, but it's it's not horrible. It's not as scary as it's built up to be. Or when you look at the course profile and you see this huge hope pass, it's not that bad. Um, I think just going into it with that, it'll be okay mentality is super helpful. Yeah. I, I'll say one thing before you launch off, Hillary, is do grab your headlamp out of here. If you listen to our episode with uh, Gonzo, uh, Blake was actually crewing him down with his iPhone uh, light because things went a little south for him. And so when he was coming down the backside of Hope Pass, um, you got to make sure you got your headlamp because you can get behind there. If you have a rough spot going up and down, uh, you're going to want your headlamp. So make sure you grab your headlamp as you come out of that. I just want to say that before we got way too far ahead. Yeah, I was I was going to mention the same thing about, about some gear that you might want to think about out of Twin Lakes. For one, take your poles with you. And then, yeah, the headlamp because so the headlamp either take with you out of Twin Lakes or 
put it in your drop bag for Winfield. Um, since crew pacers can't meet you at Winfield anymore, you can have a drop bag. Um, I did, I decided to take my headlamp with me cause I just never knew when it would get dark on me, but I did have things like an extra pair of socks and nutrition I wanted in the drop bag at Winfield. So, uh, you make, you know, athletes can make the call, but definitely plan to have a headlamp either at Winfield or you're taking it with you from Twin Lakes. Um, yes. And then what else do I want to say about that? So the, we'll, let's talk about the descent off of Hope Pass. Um, you finally made, made it to the top, which is an amazing feeling, amazing views. Be sure you stop, take a look around, take it all in. Cause it's just amazing. And then you get to go down. And again, this is a long descent down and just go with the flow. Enjoy it. Try not to put the brakes on too much. Like we've talked about all the other descents. Um, but just stay within yourself and enjoy it. There are some more technical sections with bigger rocks, bigger boulders. So just go slow through there, through those. Um, then kind of once you get down off the major descent, there's a little bit of like rolling trail before you hit Winfield. And this section is actually, you're still climbing, you're still gaining a little elevation, but there's, it's more, more of a rolly feel. So you can kind of um, get more of a run going and that can feel kind of nice after the pounding downhill. Um, so then you get to Winfield, you get halfway and although, so I, the year I ran, it was the first year that they didn't allow crew and pacers. And so, um, I wasn't sure how that would feel knowing that I had to go back over hope all by myself it was a little, um, intimidating, a little nerve wracking, but there is definitely still an energy in Winfield to get to that halfway point. That feels really good regardless of, you know, if you're meeting your crew there or not, that always feels good to know that you're halfway. Um, so get to Winfield and then there, I would say that this is another good aid station to sit down, take care of yourself, do a little inventory, do you need to change your socks if those are in your drop bag? Do you need to take in some extra calorie, extra calories? Um, do you need to take care of the feet? Um, take care of anything else on your body, and then, and then you're off, and then you're out of there. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to add anything else about Winfield's aid station halfway point? I mean, so I, I did it a year that there was Pacers and crew, so I can't speak to kind of for that. For me, I had a pretty rough time on Hope Pass, so I had a little bit of a different mentality getting in where instead of being like, hey, I'm halfway done, it was, oh my gosh, it's only halfway. Uh, so avoiding that mindset, I would say, I would say be, would be useful. Uh, I would also avoid stopping at this one too long just because the cutoff is pretty strict and you don't want to be cut off at the top of Hope Pass and then still have to walk down without having finished. I think that might be the most like morally disintegrating thing that could occur. Um, so this would be one I just wouldn't take a long break at if you're close to the cutoff. All right, guys, if you're just popping in for the second half of this episode, uh, we have gone all the way through the first 50 miles of the course uh, from Twin Lakes to Winfield. And so the last where we left you guys off was, you know, you, you shouldn't spend too much time in that Winfield aid station, really kind of getting that mental forward momentum, I think. Um, you know, for me, when I, even when I go out and run, I prefer to run an out and back course 
every time compared to a loop for whatever reason i love kind of backtracking you know lexi's nodding her head no she loves a loop hillary loves loves loops as well i'm an out and back kind of guy because i know what's coming my way and i think that's the big thing um is that you you do know what's ahead of you and i i personally see that as a very powerful thing as as an athlete and a coach is that okay i've already done this I just have to go do it again, right? I, I have to go and accomplish these things in reverse. And so, um, you know, just being conscious of, okay, every, every step I take is, is closer. Um, and yes, of course that makes sense at a halfway point of anything, but you've already been through this. So you, you know what, what to expect. So, um, so I want to hear from you guys when you guys are in that Winfield aid station, um, as you guys are coming out, as we said, we hopefully you, uh, you have your headlamp with you, um, you know, coming down the, the other side. So now the downhill from the uphill, you came up of hope pass, um, you know, what, what, what's, what's kind of going through, through your head. Um, so depending on where you are in the race, you'll see other people coming the other direction. I always like the idea of taking energy from, from the people you're seeing, like cheer them on. Uh, at a point you have to stop doing that at Leadville though. If you were like where I was positioned as I was getting closer to the top of the pass, they were people who were not finishing the race, which is a bummer. So you kind of had, it kind of was a, a sad, you know, kind of sullen passing. I, I passed some people I knew and that was kind of like, Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Um, so Earlier on, you can kind of use their energy, like kind of be like, yeah, you're doing awesome. Uh, I don't think anyone really hates hearing that. Um, and then, you know, you get up. It's, again, not a horrible climb, but you probably are feeling a little fatigued. I don't know if that was your experience, Hillary, but I was I was definitely hurting coming back up Hope Pass. Um, and then I'll let you you tell about your experience that we can talk about going into Twin Lakes. Yeah. So. Um... Hope Pass was like a mixed bag of emotions, which I think it will be for everyone. And um, that's just the name of of the game. Um, I left Winfield feeling like a million bucks. It's like I PR'd that section better than I've ever done before. Just that like roller section right before the Hope Pass climb um, felt great. I think a part of me for people that you know, moving forward, I, d- I don't think they're going to allow crew and pacers in Winfield. So people listening will will be in the same boat as me. Um, just know that it's possible and everyone's in the same boat. And so everyone was so supportive. Everyone was just like, we're in this together. And not that I, nece- I never really found a group and we, you know, stuck together, did the thing, did the thing together. But um, everyone was just so supportive that you see on the trail um, behind you, in front of you. So so just know that um, you're if you keep moving, you're going to make it. And it's not as daunting as it seems. And I will say that knowing that, uh, like I had this belief that if I just get back to Twin Lakes where I could pick up my pacer, I'm going to finish the race. And so that was a huge motivator for me. So I think for anyone who's running it um, themselves, just that can be a motivator for you to get yourself back to Twin Lakes and you've got to pace her the rest of the way and, and you've got it. So huge. Yeah. That's like the biggest thing is like, you know, you're going to, you have this massive reward where it's like, I'm no longer in this alone. Like mm-hmm. I get to come out of the dark and I literally have someone there to like hold my hand and help me through this. Like, 
I have picked up some pacer or some athletes in rough, rough shape. And I know that my job now as a pacer is like, it's not just get them to the next aid station. It's like, how do I get them to the next aid station in better condition than I picked them up in? How do I like, how do I bring that mood up? Um, you know, how, how do I, <laughs> how, how do I not completely annoy them either? Um, and so, you know, before we got on the podcast, uh, you know, Lexi was telling me that she had a pie chart developed to, uh, is, is a joke, but as a, as a pie chart of things that she wanted to, uh, kind of hear from her pacer. So Lexi, I think we all have to hear about this, this, this pie chart. So I can be a little bit extra at times. Uh, so I sent a spreadsheet to my athletes about like what each would be at each aid station, like kind of like four different time slots I might be following all that good stuff. Uh, and one of them was a pie chart of conversation. Um, I also sent them some conversational topics that they could follow in case they needed some guidance. Uh, but 10% was reminding me to hydrate. 10% was reminding me to um, eat. 10% was something I forget. I don't have it up right now. Uh, and then 20% was keeping me moving and 50% was staying positive and having good conversation. Conversational topics I enjoyed talking about were celebrity gossip, uh, personal gossip, complaining about your significant other, uh, or hearing about your pets or children. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's fantastic. That's when I had rules too. I had rules like, um, I don't want to hear about your day. <laughs> um, you know, like I don't want to hear about crew traffic and like the hassle of finding a spot. And like, I don't want to hear about all that. I just, I, I'm, I don't generally like to be the center of attention, but on this day I was like, I'm the center of attention and, um, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hear about anything else that you've had to deal with today. Just focus on me. <laughs> and I honestly, I think it's like, it's been helpful when I've paced people too, yeah. when they're like, Hey, like, I don't want to yeah. talk about work. I know you think my job, like I have a friend who's a pilot and he's just like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I also had a rule of no questions. Like, don't, I don't want you to ask me how I'm doing. I don't want to hear that question. And I think of that when I'm the pacer too. Um, I don't mm -hmm. ask my runners questions. Yeah. I don't ask like, are you ready to eat? Do you want to eat? Or I don't even ask them like fun questions. Like it's just mm -hmm. either I'm making decisions for them or I'm just talking. Uh, I always found like pacing, it's good to be like, I'm having a drink now. Like I'll just like vocalize like, oh, I'm just going to have a sip of water. I'm going to eat some of these chews. Do you need a chew? Mm -hmm. Like kind of make it just put it in their head rather than be like, are you yes. eating? Because that can also just be condescending and they are yeah. adults, tired adults, but adults. I, I think, well, everybody regresses back to being a child at some point in an ultra. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, I think it's, mm -hmm. it's important to make statements as a, as a crew member of like, Hey, it's time to eat, right? Like no one's going to be upset with being forward. Um, and even right. Like, even if you're in a dark spot, like if I'm trying to stitch somebody's life back together after they're coming off of you know hope pass, it's like you, you need to eat right now right? Like those are the things that you need to, you, okay, we're going to walk to, we're going to walk to that tree, but then we're going to run. And it's, 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 it's making statements because as much as that it is your day, Hillary, it's also my job to make sure that you, you keep moving no matter how awful you're being to me as a human. Like I realize that this is a temporary thing and I've seen the worst side of people come out in an ultra because they're in a very dark, bad spot, but they have to be able to come out of it. And I think really that is where you have to say, okay, what do you need right now? If there's one question to ask, it's like, what do you need right now? And if they're just like, oh, I'm really hurting. No more questions like that. But 
saying things like, okay, making sure that they're, they're fed and that they're hydrated. And that if you're continuing to get like the bad responses out of them, they're continuing to be kind of grumpy and angry, allow that walking to happen for a little bit, because that's a digestion thing that needs to happen. But as soon as you hear burping and farting starting again, you need to be moving and you need to get those things going. So Hillary. Yeah. Well, and I think of it as, um, when I'm asking people to pace for me, I'm asking them to be my brain. And when I have paced people, that's how I think of it too. It's like, I'm just, I'm going to be your brain because you're the legs. Or if I'm running, I just need to be the legs. I just need to move. And I need you to think for me. So that means if you say we're going to eat in five minutes, I will eat in five minutes. If you say we're going to run when we get to that tree, I will run when we get to that tree. So, um, I think that's something that people can kind of take with them too, is like asking people to pace you who can be your brain for you. Like who can you trust to just make those decisions for you? Yeah. And Leadville's not a course where there's a lot of route finding, but I think that really comes in when you get to some courses where it might be difficult to see where you're going. Um, Or I mean, even Leadville, there might just be times where it's just like, we're coming to a hill. It's time to time to slow down. But I think you're exactly right, Hillary. Yeah. And you have to be as a pacer, like you don't want to be negative. You do have to be the happiest person in the next mile of trail. Like your person does need to see some optimism. Um, and one of the things that I resort to a lot, um, and there's definitely plenty of funny stories of me out there is that I turn to music. I turn to playing music for that person that I know that they like. Like I ask my people like, Hey, let's, let's put a fun playlist together that of music that we like. And sometimes people, the last thing they want to hear is music and they just want to hear their footsteps on the trail and the, the path in front of them with a the headlamp. But also sometimes music has that ability to kind of like, you don't need the words. Like it's just, it's a good backing soundtrack to give people some energy and it's just eat, 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 drink, drink, drink between the songs that you like. And hell, if they start singing along, then you know that that's lifting their mood. Um, and it's fun, right? You could actually have some fun with music and things like that. Um, so I'll digress. Um, you know, I think really we're, we're coming out of, um, and we're, 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 as I said, we're backtracking on the course here. And so I think at this point is where it starts to enter the, the place of the course where you really want to be able to run. You do want to be able to run this next section of the course um, because the big climbs uh, are, are behind us. And so this is where the training aspect really starts to, to play its, its, its biggest role is that if you've trained yourself with the ability to run after the 50, 60 mile point, um, you're going to, you're going to be really happy with, with that training. Um, so I, I'll let, uh, Lexi kind of take it from here. Yeah. You might want to be able to run. I don't know how much running I did. Uh, I was, I was not doing great that back half of the race. Um, it was also my first hundred learned a lot of lessons. Uh, and it, it wasn't phenomenal for me. Um, and honestly a little blurry, but you are kind of doing that rolling through on the Colorado trail. It's nice. You hit those next two aid stations that are with, they don't have crew there, but you should hopefully have a pacer. Um, there's ramen, there's warm food, try and getting that in. I think even just, I had some warm Gatorade and that was awesome. Um, it, it's not, mm, for me, it was all in the dark because that was about where I was placed and it was not a pleasant time, but it is runnable for some. Yeah. You know, I will say that, um, right out of twin lakes, there is a hill that I think gets overlooked. 
Um, and if you're just not aware of it as the runner, you're kind of like, where did this come from? I wasn't expecting to climb again until mm-hmm. Powerline. So just know that right out of Twin Lakes, there is a there is a hill and it'll be a hike. Um, but you've got your pacer with you. And so just talk and move. And then once you get through that, um, if you have the legs, there is, uh, you know, the section of the Colorado Trail that's nice to run. Um, shuffle through that as much as you can. And that's where your pace will, will really help keep you moving. Um, yeah. And then you're rolling into outward bound. It's definitely night by this time. So you've got your headlamp and coming into outward bound is when you might need more layers because it's probably getting colder. So cold there. Yeah. It can get real chilly. Um, you might want to pick up gloves because it's getting cold. Um, you might want to just switch a buff if you're wearing it for your neck or your head just get something fresh because um that can help a lot too um this i think outward bound in is easy to keep short too um just kind of do a quick assessment of needs um maybe don't sit down if you can just do quick changes of clothes or a pack switch and keep moving like this is you're at the point in the race where every minute counts And if you can just keep moving, even if you're walking and eating, um, do it. Just keep the momentum going. On the inverse, uh, I had, I, and I don't know if this was your, if you had this experience, Hillary, I started getting hallucinations up right before, uh, outward bound. Um, no, (laughs) just cause I was like so low on calories. Um, so that section and then right after outward bound first I saw, uh, People were leaving their shoes in the trail, so I stepped, try, kept trying to step over them, um, which was annoying oh, my man. pacer. And then I saw people running with signs, which was nice, but they weren't really there, like coming in and out <laughs> of the trees, cheering. But anyway, so I took a longer break at Outward Bound because I was not doing doing swell. Um, but it was very structured. Like my crew person was like, cool, we'll give you 20 minutes. You can close your eyes. You can eat. You can like lay down for a second. But at 20 minutes, I'm kicking you out of here. Um, so it still was like structure. Like there was, there was no accidentally DNFing because I took a long nap. I, I will say one thing I've learned over the years is that as you come into outward bound is it's very lumpy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people fall going into outward bound because it's like almost like a tilled field. Like I don't, I, I, I've never actually, I don't remember seeing past outward bound because you never go that way out with, mm-hmm. with an athlete. It's always usually coming in. I'm like, you can see the aid station for a really long time. And as you come across there, the thing that I always remember most about outward bound is one, it is the coldest place on planet earth. If you are waiting for somebody, it is like Hoth. Like you might as well be like crawling into a Tauntaun. Like it is so cold there. And if you have to wait, um, I would say this is also the most annoying place to crew because if someone has left a car there, you have to go try to find someone's car in the dark. Make sure you like give the person that's picking up your car. If you're swapping cars here, an actual description of maybe where you parked. Uh, that's very helpful. Ask me how I know. Um, but coming into that aid station is lumpy. And I've, I've seen a couple athletes fall. I've seen a couple twisted ankles there. Um, and one thing I did want to talk about at some point in this podcast is how do we handle 
when you come into an aid station and you've got somebody, whether you're crewing or you're the person that's in the unfortunate position to be feeling like absolute ass, um, how, how, what are some ways that you guys either try to pick people up besides giving a structured 20 minutes, you're in, you're out. Um, do you guys have any tips and pointers? I would say mine amongst other things that I deal with most at this point, there are two things that come to mind for me is one stomach. Um, I always encourage athletes to carry the chewable Pepto-Bismol with them, um, because they come in like a little individual one. And so if your stomach's upset, that's a good thing to have on you. But I also carry it in my little like crew bag that I personally take with me. Uh, but the second thing is feet. And I know that I've talked about feet and people are going to think I've got some weird foot thing going on, but I've seen feet and like hot spots and those things end more races than anything else. It is such a bad thing and chafing as well. Um, so do buy the small personal sized, like, um, that is one thing I will say people to have in a pack is either the small personal sized, uh, anti-chafe or pro tip, just take a knife and cut off a little bit and put it in a Ziploc bag and twist it off and put it somewhere. That's not going to explode in your bag. That'll help. But taking care of feet, um, most people say don't pop the blisters, but sometimes that pressure relief is nice, uh, for the athlete. So popping a blister, um, and then doing the old moleskin trick, if you've hiked long enough, uh, you know, taking and making a Cheerio, uh, as I call it, uh, out of moleskin and cutting where the blister is and leaving the relief for that hole. So that blister can fill back up, but it gives that blister a place to expand into, uh, without creating, um, an issue with, uh, that, that area. Again, we're not going to have that rubbing and chafing again because the moleskin's protecting that soft kind of tender area, but you have to make it big enough to cover the whole red spot. There's the white part of the blister, the red part of the blister, and then the rest of the good skin. You want to make sure that, um, you know, you're covering the area that isn't blister because then if you take it off and you not in contact with good skin and you've got unfortunate adhesion on bad blister skin, the skin's coming with it. And that is that takes about three times as long for that blister to heal for that athlete. Um, so I, I've spent a lot of time working aid stations in terms of medical and those things. Um, and that's definitely the two things that I see after the 70 mile point that end races, feet and blisters and stomachs. So um, stomachs can sometimes be handled with the Pepto, but I'd love to hear from you guys, uh, your resuscitation. Well, and I think that that, that section, that like 80-ish miles, no matter the races, is a high likelihood of dropout. Like if you kind of stop for too long, it's easy to talk yourself out of getting going more so than when you're a little bit further along. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because 20 miles to go is a long way. Like that doesn't sound fun. I think that's when lots of people have those aches and pains. Um, so, you know, if your runner's comfortable with it, giving them a quick like calf massage, foot massage, like cleaning off the feet, like getting them feeling as good as you possibly can in a short amount of time. Um, and then, you know, just trying to like keep that, that energy going, keeping them moving, even if it's walking, um, just so they don't have that opportunity to sit down and get heavy and realize how much their, their feet or their hip or their shoulder is hurting from that fall. Like not letting them dwell on, on how uncomfortable it is because no matter what running 80 miles is going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'll chime in with, um, kind of reviving people advice. So if it's stomach related, um, I always tell people whatever, wherever you're at, just slow down. Um, so if you have, have been trying to run through it, let's walk. And if you're already walking and you're still having bad stomach issues, let's stop for a second. Um, so usually like slowing down the pace kind of helps return some blood flow to the, the stomach and start settling the stomach. 
And then if we can kind of settle things down a bit, then my trick, Andrew, is like little ginger candies. I really like the hard ginger candies. Um, those are nice to just let sit in the mouth and dissolve and can kind of settle the stomach a bit or peppermint candies. Those are great. Um, so I've seen those revive people and the trick of just slowing down. Like don't, you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to, you know, get a good running pace, just start walking yep. or just sit for five, 10 minutes. See, see what happens. Yeah. Um, Gingins, man. Gingins are like, if you're listening, we will definitely take a sponsorship. Don't, you don't have to ask. We'll definitely <laughs> take it. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to blisters, um, you know, I was super paranoid of blisters and myself. I was, I was like, my feet are not going to be the thing that ends me. Like I can control this. So, um, and I don't normally get them. I don't normally get hot spots, but you know, it's a hundred miles. You never know what's going to happen. So, um, I did preemptively like there, I wish I knew the name now. I wish I knew the brand name, but there are band-aids you can get that are, you know, they're pretty thick. Like it's, um, it's basically like a second skin, um, and they have them in a variety of different shapes that, you know, are for different spots on your feet. And so if you know that you generally get a hot spot in a certain area, um, those are great to just preemptively put in those places. Um, and then you just kind of create an extra little, little layer. Yeah. I will give a shout out to trail toes. Uh, that is one company that they actually make like a cap that's made to like go over the toe. So if you've get that, like, you know, if you've, all of us probably at this point have toes that go over each other or like we get them on a specific toe, bad area. Trail toes is awesome, uh, for those types of things. Um, so I think the last thing I'll say here is that that outbound, outward bound station, um, you know, if you can make it quick, but if, uh, if you didn't, it's really important that that Winfield aid station, the one prior is a good clothing change one because it does get so cold overnight. And I think one thing a lot of people struggle with is, um, our bodies are used to a certain rhythm. And when we sleep, um, right, our body temperature naturally goes down. And so when we're going through the night, that like two to 6 AM kind of point, our natural desire is to actually have our body temperature go down. And so we are also fighting our natural circadian rhythm to want to cool down. And so we need to stay warm. Um, this is one of those that as a pacer, one of the things that I make sure that I grab if I don't have it at this outward bound aid station is an extra, um, like down jacket to take with me, uh, because that down jacket can be a total lifesaver, uh, for that athlete if they get cold. Um, and so I think it's important to say that you can't carry your athlete stuff, but you can give your athlete. Oh, you can mule. You can in Leadville. Leadville, you can, you can mule. Yeah. You like, I, uh, I haven't done it at Leadville just cause I haven't paced Leadville, but at other races where you can mule, I've just like gone through their pack and taken out everything they don't like actively need while running. Because yeah, you can mule at Leadville. You could just take their whole pack and hand them a, a flask every once in a while if you wanted. Um, so to the point of muling, uh, I think that's definitely worth taking advantage of in terms of extra layers as a runner that you might have, um, maybe extra water. But I will advise runners to still carry a little bit with you um, just so that you're in control and you have access to so that you don't have to ask for a sip or ask for a bite of something every single time you want it. So maybe you've got 500 milliliters on you and you've got one thing of nutrition and then your pacer has all the extra. 
um, I think that's a good way to utilize um, a mule, but um, don't re- don't give up everything because then you're asking every time and you don't quite have the control over it. And I know your pacer is with you, but you might be less inclined to eat more regularly and drink more regularly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No more is like taking, taking that cell phone, taking their layers, taking yep. like yep. everything they don't need. And strategy number two there is, um, I've, I've run ahead for athletes. Like I've run like, uh, like two minutes ahead and like said like, Hey, they need this, this, and this. And that may be that, like, I know that, that someone might have to go run to the car, which can be far enough away. That's like, you know, that way you can kind of relay the message, um, and just be thinking ahead. You know, those, those are some really important things. So, you know, this outward bound aid station, 76.9 miles in, basically 77 miles in, um, you've got, you know, 10 miles to go from outward bound to May queen. And this is kind of where I think for a lot of people, it's like, I just gotta, well, if I can get to May queen, I just gotta make it home. So let's kind of talk about outward bound to May queen. I feel like this is still, there's still some stickiness that, that can happen here in this outward bound because right at that like 77 mark, uh, somewhere around 80, you got to go back up Sugarloaf pass. So what you came down, you gotta, you gotta get back up that thing. And I think this is really that, that big last climb. And I think this is where I see a lot of people really leaned over their poles and really like, they are trying to push everything they can to get to the top of this thing. I think this is the most emotional climb, uh, of the whole race. What helped me with, with, uh, getting back up power line, uh, as my pacer went just in front of me and I just watched her feet. And for me, that was like really rhythmic, really nice. And like, we didn't really talk, but it just kind of kept me moving. It was something to focus on. She was wearing really cool, like tie dye leggings and it was just perfect. Um, I, it is, I would say this is the hardest climb over, over hope instead of hope pass. Um, Hillary can disagree if, if she feels differently, but I felt like this climb was the hardest of the race just because how late it is, how steep it is. And it just feels to go on forever. Um, you do get the space station at top at the top, uh, which is just this wild party location. It's an unofficial aid station. Um, I've heard tales of people being offered acid there. So if that's, if that's your jam, I guess like fly home, man. Uh, but like, it's, it's a wild time up there. That's where I got the the golden Oreos. Um, so I'd say like, for me, that was the motivation is I had friends who were like hanging out up there partying. And so I was like, okay, we're going to make it up power line. We're going to get to the space station. I'm going to see people. And then we can, it's just downhill to, to make queen. I, I can't imagine taking acid at any point in a hundred months. I, my, when I paced this section, so I paced this section in 2019 and my runner was offered weed. So, you know, Hey, I mean, <laughs> I'd be fine with that. <laughs> um, so I, I think that this is one of those, um, I, I love the, I see so often that point you made Lexi with an athlete, uh, having their pacer go ahead and it shows them like, at this point, you're kind of, you're, you're entering baby deer mode, the Bambi mode where legs aren't working so well. And this is where you're going to see a lot of athletes kind of take small falls. They're going to be tripping. It's, it's really hard to pick up your legs at this point. Um, and so this is where practice with poles is going to be helpful, um, and making sure that you, you know how to climb on them when you're tired and they do, they should be out in front of you and help brace you. Um, but you, you still got to keep those legs moving. I think that's the name of the game to get up power line is just don't stop. You know, there's that little kind of little section where it goes boop and then there's a little flat and then it just, it's a half pipe at that point. Um, you know, so that's, 
That is good. But man, that aid station is a riot at the top. That is a very memorable place. Um, and then once you get back into May Queen, uh, May Queen is always one of those, like, it feels like it's the darkest place out there for me, whatever reason I remember May Queen is just this super dark out. Um, it had started to rain, uh, the year that I had, um, I had paced here and it was just cold, wet rain. It was just that Colorado mountain rain. And so, um, you know, the big thing was, is they have some really great soup there. Um, this is, this is one that I think, uh, if, if someone's going to spend some time, this may be the one where people spend the most time. Um, I think cause it's, you are 10 miles to go, but that 10 miles can feel, uh, like forever. Um, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got that, I guess, 12 miles, I should say to go. Uh, and you've got, you've got some pavement, which does not feel good. We will get to that. Um, but any, any other thoughts as we, we get into that May Queen aid station? Yeah, I would say May Queen aid station, depending on where you are, like time of day, this is a good one for maybe like a gear swap. Uh, when I ran it, it was not quite dawn yet, but going to be very soon. And so I ended up finishing in the sun and I wish I would have picked up a hat. I wish I would have picked up sunglasses, put on more sunscreen. I wish I had even changed into shorts because by the time I finished, um, it was warm. And, Mm -hmm. um, but May queen, it was, you know, it's like still just dark. So think of that, um, as you're rolling into May queen or have your crew be thinking of that stuff and definitely pick up, um, stuff for sun or stuff if, you know, cause you're going to get warmer as you go around the lake. Um, this is one where like, depending again, depending on where you are with cutoffs, um, keep it short if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to keep it as short as possible because, um, I was close to cut off. So I wanted to just roll through and, and, and get the thing done. Um, so I ate a little bit and, and off I went. Yeah. I think Hillary and I have almost the exact same finish time. Uh, so it was the same thing. Like I got to May queen. I, and they had changed the cutoff. So if I had been like two years earlier, I wouldn't have made it. It was like 6am. And so I was like, my pacers crying. I was crying. We both didn't think I had made it. Uh, we had forgotten that they had changed it. So I went, I just kind of shot through, I grabbed an, a new pacer and I started to reach for some food and one of someone in my crew was like, you haven't been able to hold anything down. Like just, just finish. Uh, I was like, fair. It's <laughs> probably just gonna waste more time throwing up again. So it was a real quick one. It would have been, I did overheat at the end, but honestly, I think at that point I just was like, I'll be so upset if I don't hit that finish, like because of time at this point that mm-hmm. I just kind of sacrifice a little bit of comfort to make sure I made it safely. Yeah. And so I'll say that, again, depending on if you are close to cutoffs, this is where just really trusting your pacer. I remember asking, like, if we keep going at this pace, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? I could go faster if we're not like, although I couldn't, like it was just everything in me to go what we were doing. Um, But so having someone that can really just do a little math for you that you trust is going to get you to the finish because at that point your brain's not working. You're not going to be able to do the math and the mileage and, and, you know, (laughs) figure it out if you're going to make it. So just trusting your pacer that, yeah, like we can move at this pace or if we do a little jog run, um, I'll get you there. So, um, yeah, choose, choose a good pacer here, especially someone that can kind of talk to you, encourage you, someone that you trust. No doubt. I would say the best piece of kit and some great advice um, 
is if you're buying tights for Leadville, buy the ones with these zip off ankles. Cause there is nothing more infuriating than trying to get tights off of someone. I've never had to dress children, but that's what I imagine it's like, is like, you're trying to get this off somebody and they're sweaty and it's just, it's, they're in an awkward position on the ground. It's just, it's, you know, trying to get tights off somebody. So just get the one with the zip off ankles and for guys and girls, like just put the tights over your shorts. Then you don't have to like go and do this and try to, I saw a guy, uh, 2017 fall out of a porta potty with his tights at like his ankles. Cause he was trying to get them off and he cramped and he fell into the door. It was, I, I didn't want to laugh. I went in to help him, but like in my mind, it's still one of the funniest like things I've seen is like someone falling out of the porta potty. Um, so hey, you know, do yourself a, a favor. At a certain point, there's just no shame at these races. Oh, like I did, my no. friends just held up a blanket for me, and I just changed behind it. Like yep. whatevs, like it's just trees or whatever behind me, you know. And what I did is I wore a running skirt, so I could just pull my tights up under it and like pull them back down when I needed Boom. to, so I didn't Brilliant. have to like take like didn't have like the bulkiness of shorts. And then, um, but that might not be everyone's style. Uh, but yeah, I think Hillary's right. Like, honestly, if, if somebody sees your tatas or your butt, like they're not going to like giggle about it. They're, everyone else is in the same boat. It's not mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. yeah. I've most definitely been in a situation with Kevin and I'll leave the person's name, uh, off the podcast, but they are most definitely running their leg in their underwear because they were tights and got way too hot. And you know what is just something I saw in the woods at night and you know, it could have been a premonition. It could have been a hallucination. Yeah. But speaking of hallucinations, we're towards the end of this thing. And uh, this has actually been a super fun podcast with you guys. I think we've got the, I think the, the crux of the thing here. We're, we're at May Queen Aid Station. There's nowhere else to go but home. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to feel like, Hey, this thing's going to happen. This is a really exciting point to be at. Um, you know, I, I always think that the most honorable thing that someone can get is that finish line pacing job, because you get to, you get to have that point of like, we're, we're going to do this. And you get to have that really emotional, fun time coming back across turquoise Lake. And you're like, you just, you know how far we've, we've run this before, right? Like we've been, we've clamped turquoise Lake, you know, a ton or whatever. And you kind of get to pass through those things and you start to get to see civilization again. It feels like you've been lost in the woods for a while. And now it's like, there's a house, there's people, there's a car, you know, and you're starting to see these things that are starting to feel really good. And so, you know, kind of this May queen to the finish, this is, um, for me, I do remember there being a little bit of a small climb before you get onto the road. And, um, that one was, uh, runnable, but it's, there's some carnage that starts to happen there. Um, if you're with somebody that has run. Yeah. That's the boulevard that you're describing there, Andrew. Yes. So that's like two, three miles of dirt road, slight incline. Me and my friends called douche grade because it's the grade that uh, you feel like you should be running, but running feels just absolutely impossible. Um, So some people might have the legs here to kind of shuffle along. You might have a, a shuffle walk. You might just be walking it in. However you're doing it, you're making your way to the finish line and that's all that matters. So um, it's long, not going to lie to you. It's long and you just keep moving and don't think about it. Don't think about like how long you've been out there. Like just you just move until until you see that paved road and then um, and then you know that you're close. Is it the high school that's on your left? What is that that's there? 
That's high school. And yeah. 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 And there's a, yeah. Or no, the left is the uh, intermediate school. The high school's on the right. And then the hospital. Yeah. That's yep. right. And that's Leadville geography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then once you hit the pavement, you get to go, you get up, you go up a short little hill, which you're like, who the heck put this here? It's only like maybe a hundred feet or something, but still it's uphill. And then you have a downhill and you can see the finish forever. Ever forever and you're just everything in you is is moving as fast as you can to get there i remember i could finally run again and i was like i'm running so fast and then and then afterwards i saw a video and i'm like oh my gosh i was so slow but but hey it that's the finish line and then you get to walk on the red carpet and cross that finish line yeah and yeah I was going to say my favorite, like everybody finishes looking roughly the same. They've got a stocking cap that's a, kind of tilted to the side and maybe halfway off their head. They've got a down jacket wrapped around their waist. They've got two poles and they're just, it's just this, like I've, you see it so much and it's just. It's a death march. <laughs> it is. But I was going to say, it is not, you know, it's not a walk. When you, after May Queen, everything is a march. It is with intent. It is with purpose and you are moving. Lexi, you're going to say something. Yeah. So I think that that whole section, May Queen to the Boulevard is like, that was where I started. Like, I kind of got that motivation to to finish and finish strong. I think that's a fairly runnable section. It's kind of nice to run it and not because the long, the more you walk, the longer you're going to be out there. Right. Like at that point, it's the faster you run, the sooner you're done mentality. Um, both of my, my parents were ultra runners. Both of them ran Leadville several times and their adage was things always get better at the second, second sunrise. Um, you know, some people are going to finish in the dark and they're fast anyway. So who cares? Uh, but those of us who are finishing in the daylight, once that sun starts to come up again, like, you know, you've made it, you know, you're going to do it. It's good. Everything's getting brighter, literally figuratively, mentally. Um, yeah. And then it's at least probably again, Hillary probably had a similar experience because we finished about the same time. Um, there was a lot of people in the same boat who were just marching in together, uh, going up the boulevard. So it kind of like, even though it was hard, it was just like, you know, you wanted to be done. There were so many people with you who were like, you could all kind of be grouchy about it together. Uh, you know, and then all their little pacers holding their hands and helping them along. Um, it was just kind of a fun time to be honest. Like it, it was the most clarity of the race. I feel of like you, you pretty much finished, like you had it in the bag, um, yeah, it's a good time. And then going down, like down, uh, Harrison, when you go to the finish, like it's, there's people cheering. It's, uh, especially Hillary and I finishing in the golden hour. Um, again, being from Leadville and being pretty enmeshed in the ultra running community there. I thought I was just like the queen coming like home. Cause people were cheering my name and then someone else would hear my name. And I was just like, yes, I've arrived. I'm here. Like full ego. Um, but it was, it was great. Like it's, Honestly, my favorite part of the course is that, like, May Queen to the finish. Yes, the energy at the finish line is just amazing. People, like, people you don't even know, of course, are cheering for you, and you just feel super special just for being there. And it, it is, like, it is magical, and that seems, like, really trite, but it's just, like, out-of-this-world experience for sure. Yeah, you're definitely not going to forget it. You know, I think that's that's such a cool thing is I remember the finish line and I didn't even race it. Like it's still one of those like cool memories as a coach and as an athlete and a friend, like to, to be in there in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, having 
been able to be part of a, anybody's crew is that that's the celebration point, right? Like you might pop the bottle of champagne, might be a couple of beers, whatever it might be, but like stand and enjoy that, that finish line and be there. Like that's such a, it's such a cool place to be. And even as someone that's like, you're not going to want to move anywhere else when you're, when no, you cross that finish line. <laughs> no, you're, you're going to want to chill there and go get a hot shower and probably get help getting out of said shower. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we could probably do a whole episode on how to recover from a hundred mile race. Um, but we will have to, of course, leave that for another day. I do want to thank both of you guys for popping on this. Um, I think we could almost do another episode even on how to train for this thing. So, um, I will say this, um, looking forward to, I know that, uh, Hillary this year, uh, you're coaching a couple athletes, uh, for both lead man and Leadville 100. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I am. I'll have two first time Leadville people out there. So, uh, you know, we, we've got some room in the roster. So if you guys, uh, are looking for some help with the Leadville course, uh, or if you're listening to this years down the road, far from 2022, uh, and you're looking for, uh, some insight on the course, feel free to give us a shout out and let us know. We'll be able to hook you guys right up with a coach. I think without further ado, you're all good for today, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.